All right, guys. Well, welcome, and here we are uh, with our special guest, Gord. This is a boy. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got Josh Smith with us, who was uh, who was teaching this past Sunday yep. on our Father's Day message. Yep. And, Did a great uh, job. Yeah. And so, Josh, we would just ask, uh, just as we're jumping into this, if you don't mind, like maybe just giving us sort of like a thirty thousand foot view of of people who hadn't watched it. If you haven't watched it. Uh, please, we really encourage you to, to go back into our archive and watch that. Mm-hmm. It was a really, uh, mm-hmm. really powerful teaching. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, so this Sunday we talked about, it was Father's Day, uh, and so we talked about hearing the Father's voice and how, like, when you grow up, like, there's just times where you want to hear your dad sometimes. Um, and I've been privileged that that's a good experience for me, uh, and so that's been someone I've been able to reach out to a few times. And so we just kind of talked about how do we hear the Father's voice is where we ended up. But to get there, we looked at someone who had to hear the Father's voice. It's like actually really dangerous to ask to hear the Father's voice. And uh, Craig Rochelle's Dangerous Prayers came out at the beginning of this year. And I just really appreciated that book. So some of the ideas come from there, as well as a couple other authors quoted along the way. But we start off looking at uh, 1 Samuel 3. And that kind of just looks through, Samuel is a boy, <laughs> like like a 12-year-old boy, and he keeps thinking that his master's waking him up, like the priest, the head priest of the temple, and that's Eli. And we had just found out at the end of chapter 2, we find out that Eli's not doing so well, and his family's not doing so well in particular, some of his sons. And so what happens then is Samuel gets woken up in the night a few times, and then eventually he figures out that God's trying to tell him something. And so then in verse 10, he says, speak, Lord. And God speaks. And <laughs> we just talked about how dangerous it is because if you say that, you don't get to guarantee it's something that you want to hear. And there's this willingness to change. If you really want to hear what God's saying, built into that is you have to say, like, I want to hear what you're saying and I want to act on that. Like, you need to be ready to act on it. And so that's going to involve changing yourself. So basically, from there, we talked about three ways of hearing God. Uh, we talked about that you have to, I just want to make sure I get my notes in the right order here. <laughs> Uh, we talked about you have to be ready, we talked you have to be willing, and we talked that you have to be still. And it starts off with the idea of being still, because I thought it was fascinating. Now, the Bible doesn't say this explicitly, but I thought it was interesting that uh, he heard God speak at night. And I wonder if it had been, like, had God been speaking during the day, too, and he was just too busy to notice? Mm. Um, or maybe not. Maybe God just chose to speak at that time, too. That's definitely an option. And so there's points of, like, being still so you can hear what God's saying. There's points about being willing, uh, willing to actually hear what God's saying, that two-way communication of just sitting down and like receiving of what God has for you. So it's supposed to come in with a wish list, come in with a blank list. And then finally, be ready. Be ready to do something because uh, of oftentimes God's going to call you to an assignment. Mm. And if he called you to it, it's, it's worth doing. <laughs> so that's kind of the, the big outline of where we went Yeah. Uh, this past Sunday. Okay. Yeah. And I love those that like breakdown you did of those three things. I mean, the the be willing part for me personally was just sort of because you're right. I think we can sometimes come to God uh, even subconsciously with a with that wish list, <laughs> and mm. and then all of a sudden what might come is not at all what you might want. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the other side of it is, if I may, is sometimes it's the the be willing. Um, people say, well, I'm not hearing from God. Are you sure? 
Are you sure you're not hearing from God? Mm. Or is it that what he's saying is not really what you're looking for? Right, so, you, so then you say, well, it's not God saying it. It's just something in the back of my it's head. A, right? it's, yeah. it's just, you know, like I've got to, I really want to hear from him. Yeah. That, yeah, that's, I think I might have mentioned it. I wasn't sure if it made it into the video part there, but I think too sometimes we think that God's not speaking, but he already spoke. Like he's told us to yes, do something. Yes, it did make it in. Yeah. yeah. Like he's told us to do something and like we forget about it or just don't do it for a while. And then we're just like, well, what do you have for me? What do you have for me? And I think sometimes God said like, I already told you what I have for you right now. Like yeah. you, you can't just skip step B in my plan for you and get to the end. Like I, I want you to go to B, C, D, Z, Y, one, two before you get to like where you think you're supposed to go. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's an interesting idea too. And you feel like you can't hear anything. See, I've got a couple of those hanging around in my life right now. Where he told me, and I was quite clear at the start. But as time goes on, you get busy, you get other things. you, And then you begin to think that maybe it doesn't matter that much. I'm willing now, but I'm willing to do whatever's new. He says, wait now. <laughs> it's like it's like a child who wants dessert, and he says, no, no, you eat your potatoes and your vegetables, and then you get dessert, and I'm willing to give you dessert, and I'm willing for that to happen, but you still got to eat your vegetables and your potatoes. Yeah. And I've got a couple of those rolling around. I'm not sure how I'm going to get there yet. Hmm. Yeah. And no, you can't ask me about them. <laughs> I was thinking to myself, are, are you going to elaborate? Or? No. I got no. the vibe. I picked it up. No, we're going to leave that. I find that sometimes, too, though, that you get to these moments where like, you, you feel like God's saying something and you want to step into it. But then sometimes you're wondering, how does this all fit together? Or when do I step onto what, what platforms? or What, what part do you think fear plays in that, Josh? Man, fear is like... I'm really curious in myself if I were to sit down and think of all the things that God told me to do at different times that I didn't do because I thought of fear, right? And sometimes you want to count wisdom as fear, and sometimes it is, and sometimes it's not. <laughs> sometimes it's straight up fear. Yeah, and they say, "Oh, I'm I'm not afraid. I'm just being wise. I'm just not going to do oh. it. Right? I'm not afraid. I'm just being wise." But well, that's not how it is a lot of the time, right? A lot of time it is like. What do you think the fear is of? <laughs> I think it's funny because, like, for myself. I was, I was probably different for different people, but for me, my fear would normally come from the view of other people, right? Like, how other people see me if I do this? Or how will, how will this look on me if... Like, even when it comes to money and stuff, which is a big thing, like, in our world, for sure. But I'm actually more... Like, a lot of times, I'm not so afraid that I won't be able to eat. I'm, it's a, I'm afraid that, like, what if everyone thinks that I can't eat? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's something mm-hmm. like that. There's that pressure. Which is funny because as it's easy to say in front of a mic, but not when like you're actually in front of people. But it's easy to say like, how how is my fear of people greater than my fear of the Lord? Do you know what I mean? Like, and if really I feared what God, not doing what God had more, would I just do it? What He has for me? What about this? And I'm just asking questions here. What if it's not necessarily fear of people or fear of God? 
But what if it's, you can see the joy that would be in it if you do it, and God blesses it, but you have this fear of, yeah, but what if it doesn't work out? I think and, and so the fear of, quote, unquote, mm. I don't know whether we would put the word failure on it or not, but but if it not working out the way you think, as opposed to what if it does work out and what if, yeah. you know? Yeah, I, I think, I totally agree with what you're saying. I think the consequence of that failure depends on the, like the fear that comes out of that failure will depend on the person. Like for me, I'm afraid of failure because other people will see me as a failure. For someone else, it might be that I'm afraid of failure because of I lack in myself, or I'm afraid of failure because of then God isn't real. Like for me, the failure is how other people would see it. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. I, I yeah. that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. And so, even though the, knowing God as we know Him, and knowing the potential for wonderful things to come out of whatever He's asking us to do, that fear of How's this going to look is still greater than the potential joy that would come out of. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's kind of funny as you talk about. I was on I was on Reddit yesterday and I saw this post that like it's an idea that I've thought before, too. But someone was talking about weight loss. and Like how I can't stay motivated. What's the trick? And someone's like, you have to <laughs> you have to hate the weight more then you hate not eating well, if that makes sense. And like, on, like the, the idea that they're saying is what will propel you is when you can't stand your situation so much that you have to do something else, right? And Yeah, well, well, you see, but, okay, so let me take you back. See, if you ask almost anybody who's, who's been through visionary stuff, pastors in churches, people who've done visionary things, they will always say that vision is preferred future. So, okay, but that's a little nebulous hmm. because it, it can be just like a dream. Like I would love in my retirement years to be a PGA golfer. <laughs> <laughs> so, so do I call that vision? No, that's, that's just crazy right there. But it has to be in relation to what's current. So, is the situation currently such that we need to move away from it? And that's where the preferred future comes in. So what are you moving toward? So let's put it in a church context, because that's about the only place I have anything to say, if I have anything to say. So your church is stuck in the mud. Your church is, um, is kind of spinning their wheels. And everybody agrees that if you stay there, within a generation for sure, maybe within 20 years, you're going to be putting the locks on it. So you have to not want to stay there bad enough that you're open to the right. preferred future. Yeah. Because there's always change involved, which is which is kind of the wild card in this, right? Yeah. 
you're always in the place of, yeah, but it's going to mean change. And we all know the phrases, change will happen with you and through you, or it will happen to you, but change is going to happen. Because if, for example, in a church context, if you continue to spin your wheels, spin your wheels, spin your wheels, uh, your people will die off. The visionary people, the, the motivated people will move on to other churches. Change will happen. So it's, it's being ready to move away from what's current yeah, you almost toward have, what's visionary. Yeah. It feels like you almost have to want that vision more more than you want your comfort, right? Absolutely. And that's exactly, that's the, oh, that's the tension we live in. Like, absolutely, Do you want to give right. up that comfort? Yeah, yep, absolutely, no question. Because the other thing about change, not only will it happen, but it costs. Always. There's always a cost. But, you know, the counterpoint to that is, yeah, and there's a cost to no change. Yeah. So, question for both of you. Yeah. Where does mystery fit in to that part of the journey? So, well, when I've been thinking here about... Oh, I, I love this stuff. <laughs> I, lo I love this part right here. <clears throat> well, I was just thinking, like, so, Josh, you were talking about, to circle back, like, that fear of moving forward and, the, and what that fear is, and is that... Is that um, the way people are looking at you and and what I was also thinking is for some people personally they could think if it doesn't pan out and they think it's failure then maybe they'll they'll just think it was never God to begin with mm -hmm. and I was thinking to myself I mean think about think about the disciples in this moment where they're with this rabbi spoiler alert it's Jesus and in and that then, case we say the rabbi <laughs> the rabbi yeah. and um they're with the rabbi, and they don't... Re I mean, some of them are kind of putting it together, <laughs> right? Yeah. But they probably had a vision in their head of a preferred future that was not the outcome that happened. However, the outcome that happened was better than the preferred future. Right. Like, cosmically speaking. I see where you're going. Right. So it's kind of like, where does mystery, that sort of... But in the meantime... Hmm. What did it look like? Like after after the death and resurrection? Okay, or? so they're seeing Jesus as the Messiah on the white charger who's going to beat the snot out of the... Out sorry, of the Romans. <laughs> beat the snot out of the Romans and bring the kingdom to reign in power now. And when he goes to the cross, what did it look like? Well, I think that's what I'm asking, like... Like, for them in that moment, was that, like, did they think we chose the wrong rabbi? Oh, I think they, I think there have been theological writers who've said, um, the, the disciples were scandalized mm. by the cross. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Josh? Yeah, I think... I think there's that moment where you, they must have been, like, if I put myself in that situation, I, you just have to be like, wow, like, how's this, how's this story going to end? Like, mm. this is, this is or the end. Or has the story yeah, ended? Is the end? Like, is this really, 
And you definitely get the idea of reading through the Gospels that they had no idea about all the hints he was dropping. Right. But we also, I think this too sometimes, like, we get the benefit of seeing all the hints side by side and knowing the end of the story. Right. Yep. Like, it's a, yeah, yeah. It's like in the, do you guys remember the book of Eli? Do you remember that movie? Yes. Mm. Have you ever seen it? Jeff? No, I don't think I have. Oh, no. shoot. Well, I don't know if I can. I watch it every time it's on. Just you, go for it. Just, just go, go for it. it. Okay, so the first time... Spoiler alert yes, to everybody else. Spoiler, spoiler, <laughs> Big spoiler, spoiler alert. But it's been out for, I, I don't know what... Oh, a long time. A long time. Denzel... It's Denzel, right? Denzel Washington. Yeah, it's like a post-apocalyptic movie. Oh, okay. Um, but the first time you watch it, um, you don't really... You're kind of confused as to what's going on. Well, you don't know why you're confused. But then, here's the big spoiler. It turns out that Denzel is actually blind. But you, you have no idea that he's blind mm. throughout the movie. Now, the second time you watch it, it's like it's almost laughable how many hints there are. Like just these very little subtleties of like, oh, my goodness, how did I not know he was blind? Mm. So that's kind of what you're getting. Yeah. At, like that. Idea. Like we often think the disciples must be so stupid to miss it. Right. Right. But like I, I'm pretty, it's not like they just saw they could read through in like an hour and a half or two hours. All these hints back to back too, right. Like mm. even in the movie scenario, like. They hit you, you miss it, but like you get to watch it all back to back. They're with him like all the time, right? And for a lo- not just like an hour and a half, right? And so yeah. there probably were other conversations, and these were probably there's I don't know if he was constantly hinting all the time or if when they wrote the gospels, they chose to include more of those so we would get the idea, right? But, yeah, I've often thought too, like because we sometimes when we read the scriptures and we read these moments of Jesus doing teachings, like we might think of them as one offs. And, and we're like, oh, like, wow, how did the disciples, like, remember that? But it's like, no, these guys were literally hearing these stories. Like, oh, here he goes again, you know? <laughs> He's building piece on piece. But if he'd given them the whole movie in one shot, yeah, they couldn't have taken it in. No, 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 no. So, okay, to circle this back to my original question. To the mystery? Are you to, going back to, to mystery? the mystery? Is how do we apply that same type of idea within our own lives? And maybe it's through prayer. Maybe we've, we've had this moment where maybe we haven't heard the voice of God in an audible sense, but it's through the people around us. And then we have that sort of mission, vision in our head, this preferred future. And then something goes sideways. There is always... Always, 100% of the time, some element of God's mystery in what he asks us to do. Mm. Mm. And sometimes it shows up just in what you're talking about, where you go ahead and do what he said to do, and then it begins to slide sideways, and you say, whoa, whoa, wait now, just a minute, just, just, whoa, just a minute, can even get discouraged and say, but this is not where I thought we were going. And we might even hear God say, listen, I'm the God of mystery. Mm. This is how I do it. Right. Yeah, I, I, I think I mentioned it too in the message, but just like, if we had all the details... I don't know if we could handle them. Do you know what no, I mean? No, I <laughs> so agree there's something about I, that too, I, right? I, I like, think you're bang on. on what you're saying there. No doubt about that. I think you're bang on. I, I, I'm reminded of a story that Stephen Fierchick tells where early on, like he had this vision for his church is going to be like, like Willow Creek just baptizing about, he had this vision for it. And then like they were, I think like a year and a half in and they baptized one person. And he had like, as the leader, he'd like bring the energy, like this is what we were praying for. This is what we thought it would look like. And, but like inside there's that moment where he was, he says, and he's just like, 
I thought we'd be doing 20s and 100s. Like, right. that's not one, right? But, like, you have to say that as the leader, you have to bring that excitement to it. And he should have been. And he said, like, that was, like, a, a part in himself that he had to work out, right? Hmm. But just that idea that when you have that expectation of what God's going to do, and then it doesn't look like what you thought or the timing you thought it would look like, right? man, that's, that's perseverance. That's tough. Yeah, the other side of it is, though, Josh, is doesn't he teach us things always? Yeah. Right? Mm. He's always teaching us. And what we may see as the failure... Okay, I'll tell you a story. Do you know the significance of Hopkinton, Massachusetts? What happens in Hopkinton, Massachusetts? Every year in April, what happens? Sounds like something out of a Stephen King novel. Nope. <laughs> no. A taffy pulling competition? I don't know. <laughs> the Boston Marathon begins oh uh, <laughs> close yeah i feel like in, josh and i should be embarrassed right no in ba in, in hopkinton and there was a little church there and there was a pastor there and he was visionary and he had some ideas and the people weren't going and finally they vote him out Done. And uh, he says, I got to get up as far away from here as I can. <laughs> so from Massachusetts, he gets a call to go to a church in California. And he goes. And by his own account, he preaches the same way he preached in Hopkinton. His name is Chuck Swindoll. Oh. <laughs> now, for our listeners who don't know who Chuck Swindoll is, you want to do... Like oh, a quick... <laughs> Chuck is, uh, is books, radio, large church, great ministry, mm. mission strong. Like, yeah. you just Google Chuck Swindoll books and see what kind of a list you get. Mm. And uh, listen to him on the radio. He's still on the radio. So uh, listen to him on the radio and you'll know that this is a man of God who preaches the word. Which is exactly what he did in Hopkinton. And I imagine if you asked anyone for a commentary on his Hopkinton experience, they'd say, oh yeah, he was, he was a failure there. Hmm. Uh, maybe. Yeah. until God moves him. And if they had done what he wanted to do, would he have moved? Hmm. Oh, yeah. maybe not. So he does move because God had a thing for him in California. I, I, I have just always... Uh, being a fan. So when we come back, Josh, if we circle back to that whole thing of how's it going to look on me and what are people going to think of me and are they going to think of me as a failure? Maybe. Maybe would be the answer to that. But there's a song that's on Christian radio these days. Failure's never final when the father's in the room. And I love that. 
I can't tell you who sings the song, but I, I stream K-Love, uh, which is... Uh, we're not sponsored. <laughs> we're not sponsored, no. I, I, I put K-Love on while I work in my office. It was uh, something I, I started a long time ago about having a soundtrack running. Anyway, that's where I heard the song. I got a question for you. This is, this is kind of a pivot. I'm just going to come out and say yep. it's kind of a pivot. He's doing it. Um, how do you, this is for me when I was talking about this idea of prayer of like being like the willingness to receive instead of having the wish list, right? That blank mm-hmm. page for me, it almost felt pragmatic too, some in some ways about like when you come to God with your prayer. How, I feel like when He tells me something, it's easier for me to like believe it's happening than if I ask Him to do something. And yes. to, to what degree do you think this is a, a theological question for you? If there was one, dun, dun, dun. Uh, to what degree do you think? When we pray, I don't know. Am I equipped theologically to answer theological <laughs> questions? Yeah. I'm hoping so. Yeah, I'm hoping <laughs> so. Okay, I can vouch for you. Sorry. How, how do you balance that? Like praying for something, and exp- do you think God changes what His heart and what He's planning on doing, or like how do you balance that? How about faith? this? What if you start your praying by asking the Father what to pray for? And then, then we find that, uh, according to Romans 8, the Holy Spirit gets involved because he knows what the will of the Father is. So what if you say, what should I pray for? What should I be praying about today? What can we talk about? What would you like to talk about today? Let him take you there. And then it's not me coming up with some idea. And then there are a couple of other things you can run through the, run it, um, um, like a grid you can run it through one is it scriptural I remember years ago a woman in a church saying well God has told me to leave my husband and go with this other man to Africa as a missionary no he didn't <laughs> sorry mm. so I run it through scripture and two, he already knows what your heart is. He knows what your gifts are. He knows what you're burdened by. He knows what you have a heart for. And when you find the things that agree with Scripture and come to your own heart and you've asked, please teach me what to pray for. And then he says a certain kind of ministry. And then you say, well, what are you, what are you saying about that, Father? What would you like to have happen? Then he can fill in blanks, and and you're more. Uh, so I'm not sure that it's so much as him changing what he's going to do to accommodate you, as much as it is him shifting you onto where he's going. Yeah, totally. that that's a lot. Which like, you referred yeah, to trying to remember, in trying, your message. Trying to find the exact. There it is. Kierkegaard's prayer doesn't change God, but changes him who prays. Yeah. And Kierkegaard is not the only one who has said things like that. There's a lot of those. Yeah. That that, uh, prayer changes things. And the greatest thing it changes is me. The thing that I've had to wrestle through with this one, I remember R.T. Kendall, I'm sure he's another author. He has, I was at a presentation at his one time, and he said, God will answer any prayer 
it was in like a very charismatic room. So people wanted to know, like, God will answer any prayer that is inside of his will. And that idea, I just like, it changes the way I think about it, right? Like, and it's hard, to, it's hard to wrestle in that. Uh-huh. And I haven't like, it's been a couple of years. I still haven't settled out everything that little statement says. Yeah. But it, it's like, well, I, does that mean that it wasn't his will for X to happen? And am I okay with that? I, I kind of have to be. That's kind of like part of your faith is reckoning and saying like, I, if that's your will, God, I'm in, right? And we were talking about the positive like life experience, like getting to do really awesome things. That's like, that's really great to think about that way. But then you think about the things that you would have hoped were in His will that weren't. So that's so let so let me let me uh, give me let me give you a for instance. What if someone is praying while Jesus is praying? In the Garden of Gethsemane, a couple of disciples get together and say, well, let's pray that Jesus will bring the Romans down. They pray, and they're fervent, and they're praying, Father, please let Jesus bring the Romans down. And if he doesn't, does that mean that God doesn't answer prayer? Well, that's that's where I get back to this idea, right? Is that that wasn't? It's not that he only, he he only fulfills the prayers that were inside of his will, exactly right? Exactly right. Yeah. So so one of the things that that's why I say start the prayer with Father. What do you want to talk about? Yeah. What should I pray about? Because I I can come up with all kinds of things that I think would be better. You've heard people pray. Would you do this in somebody's life so that so that so that so that. You don't know how God is going to move them. You mm. just don't know. Yeah, this is like, like I think, yeah, I'm, I'm not to show this one. I had to think about it for a second. But for Lauren, like that's my wife, for anyone who doesn't know that, but mm-hmm. her mother passed away of cancer when Lauren was in her early 20s. Yep. And people will come and pray over for these things. Mm. And Lauren, just like in her prayer time, it came to the conclusion that this was going to be like the last season. Of, like that's what she felt God was saying. And so she felt that she be should be praying into that. And praying hmm. to that experience and how that should go well yep. and how this yep. will be well lived. And then people come and be praying for things that Lauren was sensing wasn't what God's direction for what how this was gonna go. And for me that's just that's like inspiring. Like hmm. I don't I remember like when my dad my dad's heart attack, like I I was just praying selfishly into it, right? Like I was praying for this, this like I pray this happens for him, I pray this happens so I get to be close to him, I pray for this, I pray for that. As opposed to stopping with that first that first idea of saying, God, this is a really broken situation. How should I be praying into this? Yes. What right? what do you want to say to me? Yeah. What do you want me to hear in this? And I think I, I like I guess I'm inspired by that the Lauren could like receive that and accept that that mm-hmm. she thought that's what God was saying and man, that's hard. It's a powerful story. Yeah. 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 Nutty. Now Okay, interesting. Okay, go. <laughs> so what I initially thought you were you were kind of asking or throwing to Gord was, um, <clears throat> and I never know whether to look at this story in Scripture as a unique situation because um, there's some uh, people in the Bible who did have a very unique relationship with God. Um, not to say that we can't have that, but so one Old Testament character that has a very unique situation with God would be Moses Mm -hmm. and um, a very, very relational early on in the narrative, right? Like 
um, of, of scripture in, in its entirety, you know, they're meeting together and it's just like, we're not, this is like just mind. When you look at the scriptures, the whole story is mind blowing. And you're like, Oh my goodness. Um, and yet he had to always like turn his face. And anyway, so the story I'm always interested in is this whole idea of Moses pleading with God to be like, no, you promised this. Hmm. And, you know, because God is at this point where he's like, okay, I'm done. I'm going to start over. I'm going to start over with a new people. I'm going to, I'm done with the, uh, with the Hebrews. And then Moses is just like, no, 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 no. So I guess my question is, is like, is this a weird, like, paradox of was God wanting Moses to fight to say those things? Or I can see, I can see Gord huffing right now. <laughs> no, that's, that's, I think where I land, what you're saying, that idea that like, it probably was to motivate Moses to to have those feelings of like, hey, you promised. Like, I feel like that like probably like a motivating and like he's fighting for it with probably something mm-hmm. on the stern side of them. Along the same lines, there's like if there's just one, do you like that? Good point. If there's that like the story of if there's just one, will you will you not destroy that city if there's just one? If there's not, and you get the story of like it sound it, the way it sounds is like God's like saying, well, okay, well then I won't, not that many, not that, like he kind of like steps back a little bit from where he started. Mm. But yeah, those are the, those are the oh, ones okay. that make you think. But then let me ask you the question. What did everyone in that story, in the story, learn? If you had to bring one lesson out of that whole thing, if there's this many, if there's this many, if there's this many, and if there's one, what do you learn? Lost sheep all over again, right? Yeah. Boom. Boom, (laughs) right? Yeah. You learn that, that God is the God of mercy. Yeah. And he's as merciful with one as he is with a hundred. Mm. See, it's it's to back up and say, what's God, what's God want us to see here? Mm-hmm. Well, he wants us to see that he's merciful. Mm. Would there be evidence for that in the New Testament and, and the Old Testament? Would there be evidence for that? Well, yeah. Well, this is just another time he teaches mm. it and another way he teaches it where God was willing to spare a wicked city for the sake of one. Like if that, if that doesn't scream mercy, grace, mm. right? So it's mm. to back up. I, I used to say with uh, uh, students in um, systematic theology classes that the big questions always solve the little questions. Quick, two minute. And I promise it'll be that. (laughs) There are incommunicable attributes of God and there are communicable attributes of God. And the incommunicable attributes is that God is eternal, infinite, changeless, and independent. That's what makes him him. What are we? We're finite, temporal, changeable, and dependent. We are the opposite of those. That's what makes us not God. 
So then when we come to the communicable attributes, those are the ones we can experience and understand. Love, mercy, grace, justice, goodness, on and on, a long list. Except what, what differentiates the way God has them from the way we have them is that picture his four incommunicable attributes as the modifiers for each of the others. How does that work? His love is infinite, eternal, changeless, and independent. And my version of love is finite, temporal, changeable, and dependent. So we just attach those four modifiers to the incommunicable attributes and it sorts out how God has them and how we have them. And now we have kind of a clear picture of the difference between God and us when it comes to love. Love is not created equal. God's love is infinite, eternal, changeless, and independent. So then let me, let me introduce a bit of a red herring here. Can you lose your salvation? I'm just giggling because you're dropping big theological bombs here, Gord. I know. <laughs> and this isn't like, I, for those of you listening right now, I've, Gordon, I remember like a year ago, you telling me this, and I have the note where I'd written all these ideas. Down. I was on the back of a placemat when we were at Nina's. Was it, do you remember? Do you remember <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about this exact idea, and I have it all written down on the placemat. Yeah. So here's, so yeah, here's the fine. thing. If God's love, if God's love, let's, let's pick another word. If God's grace is infinite, eternal, changeless, and independent? That's the big question. Mm -hmm. So it solves the little question about whether or not I can lose my salvation, doesn't it? Right. Because if it is infinite, eternal, changeless, and independent, then what's going to move that? Now, just let's, let me put on like the the backwards cap for a second. Yeah, and yeah. Just, like, turn do it. it. <laughs> do it. Do it. Okay, so if you take those four... Now, that means that God's grace is, is all of those things. What about our receiving it? Like, if we're, like if we're, we're changeable, if, we're, if we can have those moments where we're not... Just because it's available doesn't mean we're receiving it. I know that's what... If someone's listening to it now, I know that's a question that, will, that might come up. What we have from God does not depend on how tightly we hang on to it. It depends on how tightly he hangs on to us. That is always true. And when we put ourselves in the driver's seat and say, well, I don't know if I receive that. So this is a surprise to God somehow? This is new? Heck no. If we understand who God is and we understand who we are, it, it sets some parameters for us. And so people say, well, it depends on how I receive it. I've always, I, I've told this story so many times, Josh. I was a little boy. I was probably three. I was with my mother at Ingram's Dry Goods Store. Ingram's Dry Goods Store was one of those big, <laughs> it was a box store. Not, not because it was a big box store like now, but it was a square building with a flat roof nice. in, on my hometown, in my hometown. And the front door opened right onto the sidewalk. 
like it was just a door with a doorknob and it, it opened onto the sidewalk. We'd finished shopping. My mother opened the door and I scooted onto the sidewalk and was making a bolt for across the street. And I remember hearing the screech of the brakes and tires. The car got stopped. And I remember my mother grabbing my hand. Didn't quite take my arm out of the socket, but close. And going down the sidewalk, she had a death grip on my hand that I could not get out of. Do you know how many times in my life I've tried to squirm away from what God had? But it's never about how tightly I hang on to Him, but how tightly He hangs on to me. That's my, that's my theological bent. I'm sovereignty of God, strong. And, and so that's where I'm coming on that. That's, that's yeah. why when it comes to prayer, I would say, God, what do you want me to pray about? Right. What do you have for me? What should I be praying about? Yeah. So I know I was bordering on preaching right there. So. No, no. Anyway. That's why I, I, I was, it's funny, I think it's kind of, I was out. You're setting me up. You're baiting me, aren't you? Yeah, I, I, I just want to hear you say it. I just want to get it on record. <laughs> I, I, was, I was out. Uh, Playing spike ball with a bunch of like young adults from the city on Saturday. I'm I'm too old, Josh. What's spike ball? I don't. Uh, know. It's like it's a round net that's really bouncy, so you, you spike the ball on it, and then you. It's kind of uh, like it's, volleyball, it's like and volleyball, but for a park. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a little circle. You try to hit it back down. So we were we were playing that, and someone's like, Josh, where does where does the word reformed come from? How do they separate from? Oh. How do they separate? Where, why do they get to pick the word reformation for their thing? And like, and they're asking like, well, how far back does it go? And why are these? And it's just like, then the other question is like, what churches? Only five hundred years. <laughs> <laughs> what churches say like, uh, like why are some called reformed Baptist and some just called Baptist? And how do you know if the can you be reformed church if you don't have reformed in your name? And it's just a series of funny, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. pretty local stuff but yeah i do i do like that gord i i do find it interesting and it's probably a good practice for some people you say like that uh kind of pivot point you you know god's the big questions answer the little questions yes. and i think too often though a question like the one you threw out there the whole can i lose my salvation too many of the times i think we're replacing those like that oh, is absolutely we are a big question a big yeah. question like misplacing it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah misplacing it and uh, and we do that because i'm not sure we're crystal clear we'll say we are but i'm not sure we're crystal clear on who fits where mm. god is not waiting around in heaven to see what i'm going to do are you kidding me? And go through the stories. Like, can you imagine it? Uh, looks like Jonah's not going to go to Nineveh. Ah, jump, and he's getting on a boat. What do we do now? Well, Father, maybe, maybe we could send a storm. Yeah. And get him off the boat. Yeah, and then what? We'll just send Jim instead of Jonah. We'll just change the prophet, right? That's we'll just the send the prophet. <laughs> like, yeah. like how ridiculous that sounds. Hmm. 
that God is making it up as he goes. Because we all know the story of Jonah is God's demonstration of mercy and grace to a wicked, godless city. Mm. And so the fact that Nineveh, that Jonah's going to get mad and, or afraid and not go to Nineveh is going to stand in the way of that? Uh, seriously? I got a connecting question. I don't know how we're doing our time here. I don't know if you're trying to wrap this up, but I have like a connecting question here. Gord, do you think that there's times when someone's called into something and they don't respond? Of course, God will know that, like, in, in the big, the, the step above, God knows whether or not they're yep, going to respond. Yep. But do you think, and that, the, the story of Jonah is always interesting to me because on that one, he, like, he really wanted it to be Jonah. And he wanted, I think, he knew that Jonah was going to run away. So that's why almost he picked Jonah to show us that, right? But is there times when, like, I can think of a person who's really close to me. And they felt like when they were in college 30 years ago, that God had told them to, to go into ministry. And now 30 years later, it took them 20 years to actually receive it. And now they're at a point where they're finding a really hard time fitting into somewhere. It's hard to, hard to make that fit. Because it's almost, and I, it's that idea of like, did, did God call you into something and you walk away from that, that thing? Or do you think that's going to be like, we just don't know yet and someday before the end of his days that he'll be called in. And you know what I mean? you know what I'd do with that person? I'd tell them to take a four day jaunt off to be alone. We're gonna talk about that. We started a new series this coming Sunday on spiritual disciplines. And in week three, we're gonna talk about silence and solitude. And sometimes I I am just so grateful that they heard that call way back. Now, people will say, wow, 20 years ago, that's a long time. Yeah? Take a look through Scripture and see how many decades go by in some people's lives before God circles back on them. Right. Mm. Just saying. 30, 40 years. And I would just say to that person, be glad God spoke to you. And have you learned anything along the way? Mm. And they can tell you that they have. Then I would just say, okay, so the process is not easy, but it's simple. Go away. Mm. Be alone with God. And say, I was hard-hearted then, please forgive me, but I'm ready now. Can you tell me? what I should be praying about now. Mm. Like, I, I don't think, I, I don't think it's ever, like, just done that way. Mm. Well, you missed your chance, the bus is gone. The ship sailed. Ship sailed, yeah. whatever, whatever analogy you want to use, but, you know, it's done. And hogwash. That person that was called by God, God is still God, and they're still who they are, and it may be, how about this, may actually be better for it to happen now than if it had happened then. Who am I? And I don't know. I don't have any special insight to God except that I've seen him working in my life and other people's lives so many times. 
uh, I would just say to them, go away. Pastor Gord says to go to Point Wolf. Take a tent and go to Point Wolf. And don't come out till you have an answer. <laughs> like, and just say, God, what do, you, what do you want me? What do you want to say to me now? Brilliant. Right. So, just to, to wrap it back in. I, and I'm so sorry, much I saying, feel like I've been talking an awful lot and I apologize. You're, you're saying, uh, so go and be still, be willing, and then be ready for what he says, right? There you like, go. Right Amen. back to the message. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Hand in the air. Hand in the air. We got it. Good. <laughs> nice work. Yeah. That's what I would say. I'm going through that process right now. I really am. I've been more than 40 years in pastoral ministry. And uh, within a year, most of that will be done. And I'm going to still be here and they're going to, I think, let me preach some. <laughs> but uh, along the way, prayer will be, God, what do you have for me? What should I be praying about next? I enjoyed your stuff on prayer. I enjoyed how it came up with be still. Be still, I was hand in the air, dude. I really was. Because, because in three weeks' time, I'm going to say basically the same thing. Mm -hmm. That you can't hear from God with all the racket. Have you ever... Yeah come into a room and the TV's up loud and people are talking and the phone rings and you're trying to hear it and you can't. Mm -hmm. And so finally you have to say, guys, please, just, just, can you turn the TV down? Yeah, because I need to hear. Mm -hmm. Same thing. Well, right on, guys. No, and I wind up preaching again. No, no, it's all good. It's all good. This may go down in record as one of our most uh, boisterous and exciting podcasts, and to our listeners, one of our longest. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. No, it's all good. That's all on me. So, uh, yeah, I, we hope you had a lot of fun listening in on this today, guys. And, and like we said earlier at the very beginning, like you, if you didn't get a chance to listen to uh, Josh's message from Yeah, please Sunday. do. And follow up with Craig Groeschel's book, mm -hmm. Dangerous Prayers. Yeah. yeah. And you said that just came out this year? Yeah, it was early 2020. Yeah, yeah I don't have it yet, but yeah. uh, I'll be ordering it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, until then, guys, we'll catch you next time. Next week. Yeah. Okay. Spiritual disciplines. Here we go.